Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 13. That's in your pew Bible on page 504. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say to me, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The Gospel reading this morning is John 16, verses 16 through 33. It's in page 996 in your pew Bibles. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a baby is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That last phrase is what you said all, all amen to, I think. I'm going to recap it because uh, of the distraction of the moment. 
He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That phrase, I have overcome the world, is a powerful one. It's the one that we're going to cling to this morning among many. Set in John 16, the, the, you know, the fourth chapter, 13, 14, 15, 16, now the fourth chapter in this series, we find segments of 16 that connect back. And I'd invite you to again, again to read 13 to 17. In its entirety, John 13 to 17, you'll find many clauses, many paragraphs that repeat or refer back to earlier paragraphs, earlier repetitions. Several times throughout these passages, Jesus has said what he says in 33. I've told you these things so that you may either know what is to come or have peace, something to that effect. There's a preparation, a work that he's doing in this last hour. He warns them flatly. In this world, you will have trouble. We've just heard an entire couple of paragraphs on that subject. But don't lose heart. Take heart. Because the one that is with you, that's me. I have overcome the world. So that's kind of our lead point today. Next week, I'm going to wrap up this series with Christ's prayer for unity in John 17. But before we get there, let's spend a few minutes on this passage together this morning. One of the things that's going on in the book of John is the disciples are having a difficult time coming to terms of faith. There is a section earlier in John, around chapters 7, 8, 9, where many leave Jesus because the teachings that he's giving are too difficult. He is talking about hard things and hard riddles, and they are not impressed. They don't know what to do with him. It is just very difficult. And the whole notion of a Messiah that says, take up your cross and follow me, the whole notion of a Messiah that's going to lay down his life, the whole notion of a Messiah that will die rather than rescue the people from the empire of Rome, this whole thing is very difficult for people listening and following to track. It seems all through John, maybe not to us a couple thousand years after the fact, but to the people at the time, that Jesus was speaking in riddles, that it was difficult to get a hold of his words. And indeed, we find a point in time when many leave him. They abandon their discipleship. It's too hard. Even the disciples, whom we accuse of being a little thick, struggle with his words, those who stay with him. And we see them misunderstanding time and time again, but we're no different. We get a, a, an idea a framework of how things are supposed to be in our head, a construct we're working with, a matrix, if you will. And within that, we have certain expectations. And when they aren't met, we don't know what to do with those things that don't fit that matrix. We don't have any tools for making sense of it until all of a sudden we put things together in a new way and create a new construct, a new matrix. We're lost. In this respect, we're no different than the disciples who are struggling to understand what it is that Jesus is about, what it is that he wants from them, what it is that he's saying to them. So even in this last sermon, it's, it's this incredible time that Jesus has, knowing that the end is very, very, very near for him, and that he has this one last chance to teach. 
to really tell them what he's thinking and how it is. To share with them what is to come. Last week, we talked a bit about the work of the Advocate, the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to back up to 1612. In 16, 1 through 11, Jesus talks about sending the Holy Spirit. And that opening line, 16, 1, is a lot like the one I just told you in 33. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. It resembles what we just read, and I've told you these things so that you may have peace. He talks about the troubles to come. There will be trouble. Verse 33, and he says in the early sections of 16, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when those who kill you will think they've offered a service to God. They'll do these things because they don't know the Father or me, but I've told you this, so that when the hour comes, you'll remember that I warned about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? But rather you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But truly I say to you, rather... You are filled with grief because I have said these things. Excuse me. Very, very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of the world now stand condemned. So you have the Spirit coming and all of these things taking place in the Spirit's work and presence. But I have much more to say to you than you can bear now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that the Father, that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he made known to you. So again, that thing we talked about last week with the connectedness of Father, Son, Spirit, and the notion of being sent. All of this is really important. So then we get to the reading that Joe just gave us today. Repeating some of the same thematic material that we've already covered. And yet building up to a climax. They're coming back to the idea that Jesus is going somewhere, still not comprehending. What does he mean in saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean, a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. I would suggest that 2,000 years later we're asking the same question, what did he mean by a little while? Jesus saw that they wanted him to ask him wanted to ask him about this so he said are you asking one another about what i meant when i said in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me and then jesus tells them what's to come he describes it in terms of a delivery we live in a world thankfully in which babies are born All the time. And when that touches our lives, what a special moment that is. What a wondrous occasion. What a moment of joy. But he uses the analogy of of what it's like to go through this. The travail is awful. The pain is unbearable. The labor is intense. The work no man could do. 
But at the end of the day, maybe this is just a little bit um, off, but at the end of the day, the woman's grief turns to joy because she holds a new baby in her arms. We know that it doesn't always work that way, but that's the way we hope it goes. That the grief and the pain is turned to joy. Not forgotten completely, but not remembered in a way that's held against the new life that's come into the world. Very truly, I tell you, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Verse 23, let's start there. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I think that's an interesting phrase. What does Jesus mean when he says, in that day, you won't ask me anything? Perhaps he's speaking of information. Perhaps he's speaking of something else. Maybe he's thinking of prayer, although we know that they will pray ultimately for something. We know that they will eventually directly pray in Christ's name and receive. But he says, you will no longer ask me anything very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Go through the travail. The baby born will be your reward. Jesus says, now I've been speaking figuratively, but let me tell you, a time is coming when I'll speak directly. No, I don't mean that I'll talk to the Father for you. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. All of this buildup is summarized right here. Jesus begins now to speak really plainly. It goes something like this. I am in the Father, and the Father is me. My Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father desires to put everything under his feet, but he gives all power and dominion to the Son that all things might be put under his feet, and he might place them under the feet of the Father so that the Father can be all in all. This kind of language of circles keeps going through the book of John and connectedness. And out of it comes the one who is sent of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the key question is, do you believe in the one sent and what he says about the Father? Do you believe in the signs and wonders that he has performed? Do you believe, because the Father has empowered him, do you believe that the Spirit he will send will teach you all things? will complete that circle, that as the Father sent the Son and the Son sent the Spirit, so we will be taken care of by the ones sent. And our job, our task, is to believe. In that day, in that day, no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Full circle. And yet I'm not leaving you either because there'll be another one sent. 
out of this riddle of words for us today, the disciples say, now you're speaking clearly. Without figures, we can see that you know all things and that we do, you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, listen to the phrasing of this. That you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. It doesn't say that the disciples don't still have some questions. But the mystery is complete in the one sent. And that faith in the one sent, and that the one the one sent will send, makes everything possible. They have enough knowledge and enough mystery to be able to declare belief. You see, we know certain things. We trust certain things. Sometimes we think we know, but we don't really know. Or we know within the limited matrix of what there is to know, within a particular field or limit of knowledge, we know something to be true or not true. We trust in that. But to believe is something different. Unfortunately, in our culture today, as I alluded to uh, last week, our belief is often stated in terms of things that don't have any factual basis. Or if they do, are factually not correct or true. And so belief takes on a character of improbability. But in John, belief is oriented to probability. In John, belief is oriented to experience. In John, belief is centered in seeing and understanding the one sent. You see, the disciples have journeyed all of this time, and now they're listening to this last sermon. And as they're recalling this, writing this years later, they see this as a pivotal moment. And even in this pivotal moment, it won't be complete. Listen to the prophecy at the end. A time is coming, and it in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone. My Father is with me. That was verse 31 and 32. Jesus knows in just a few hours they're going to be marching through Gethsemane. The party of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, is going to come with Roman guards to arrest Jesus. Peter will take off Malchus's ear. Jesus will rebuke him. He will have spent the night praying alone because his disciples continued to fall asleep. And he will be denied. He knows what's coming. He knows all of this in this prophetic moment. And yet he leaves with this encouragement. I'm not alone. And I'm telling you things that you need to know so that you'll have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail in belief. You're going to mess up. You're going to go through hard times. There are those who aren't going to understand. There are those who are going to persecute you. There are those who are going to do the wrong thing in relationship to you. But take heart. Don't be discouraged. You're going to overcome. You're going to overcome because you are in me and I am in you and I have overcome the world. Do we remember chapter 15? I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If anyone remains in me, he will bear much fruit. By making our home in the person of God, our dwelling in the person of God, we partake in his life, we partake in his death, we partake in his resurrection, we partake in his victory, and we stand with him as overcomers of the world. It's quite a passage, isn't it? And the disciples have come to this because they now believe. They're there. Not in facts that can't be demonstrated. They've seen him drive out demons. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him take the hunched over and make them straight or the withered hand and make it whole. They've seen him speak and people get well. They've seen him be touched and people get well. They've witnessed the response of the multitude. They've taken a single loaf and multiplied it to feed thousands. They've seen him walk on water. They've watched him calm the storm. They've said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They've matured in this journey and in this faith and in this final hour, all of the difficult teaching comes together. They must believe in the one sent and in the spirit the one sent will send. They must believe in the name of the one sent that when they speak in his name and ask in his name, the Father will surely honor that. That they are to do his will and continue his ministry. That they are to be his apostles in that moment and in the years to come. It all becomes clear. This makes us believe, they said, that you've come from God. And so today your choice is simple too. What do you believe? Do you believe in the one sent? Will you partake in his life, his death, his resurrection, his victory? Will you let him who overcomes the world be the overcomer for you and in your life? I want to. It's a daily choice. It's a daily journey. And I pray that like the disciples, you'll make it until that day we all claim that we're apostles of our Lord, followers to the very end. Let us pray. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to the one sent, to the fact that he's the overcomer and the one who overcomes the world. May we not be afraid. And as we believe, help thou our unbelief. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May him who has overcome the world help each of us to overcome by his grace and by his mercy because we have believed in the one sent. Amen.